Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. How's everyone doing? How are you doing, Mike? I'm well. Uh, I am now uh, 50 years old. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> yes. It was, it was a long uh, and, and very fun birthday uh, celebration that lasted about, I don't know, 10 days or so. Nice. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a good time. Um, you know, tomorrow is, is August 1st already, which I cannot believe. And it's my first August in my 50s, Michael. How about that? <laughs> That's one way of looking at it, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, things are good. Went and saw a, a show last night with Stella, the uh, the Greek legends, Varathron, uh, played at, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Brooklyn Meadows uh, in in beautiful Brooklyn, USA, and uh, they were really great, man. Great, great fucking band. Love the the atmospheric Greek black metal, Mike. I lose track of all these places, man. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many. There's there's so many clubs. There's a lot of shows. It's been a very fun, you know, action packed show kind of. Uh, thing going on in, in new york there's, i feel like there's a show every night almost you know it's pretty fucking crazy yeah definitely man and uh yeah tons of stuff going on um summer is uh in full effect yep i gotta be honest i'm not a big summer guy i'm looking forward to the mm. fall you know yeah it's i love the summer i really do but um for the past week and change whatever it's been like brutally hot in new york city and then it kind of changed like yesterday you know the weather and today it's, it's pretty nice but uh before that it was like every day it was almost well into the 90s and yeah i guess that can suck yeah that can yeah. suck I mean, as I'm fun not, as that definitely not a fan i like the weather when it's more uh crisp you know the uh mm. frost on the pumpkin like that's more my style frost on a pumpkin uh-huh. that's that's post uh, halloween <laughs> But the Frost on a Pumpkin, that sounds like a very bad goth song. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> That's the title of a very lackluster goth song. But, uh, yeah, before I, I have a funny feeling before we know it, summer will be over. So I don't want to shit on the summer just yet. Got another, you know, month and change, you know, uh, to go. So, <laughs> yeah, man, you know, I, I haven't been watching a whole hell of a lot except for like you know the movies we do at per episode and, and then of course i've been watching the righteous gemstones have you been watching that yes that actually has been my sunday night um mm-hmm. thing i do that with my yeah. girlfriend and we make dinner we watch the previous episode and then we watch the new episode yeah, I didn't watch the finale, which I believe was last night. So I'm going to watch that tonight. Um, I felt like it really picked up steam in the last kind of few episodes. Um, I I don't know if I was floored by this season as a whole. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, but it, it has been quite good. But I, the last two episodes, I thought have been very good. There's been a lot of uh, dramatic stuff happening in this past season. Mm, yes. That's what's made it cool, you know. Uh, something else I've been watching on the old uh, HBO or Max, if you will, is uh, Last Call when a serial killer stalked queer New York. Have you checked that out? That that definitely piqued my interest. I haven't seen any of the episodes yet, though. Um, yeah, it's four uh, episodes. Uh, the last one uh, was on last night. I'm going to watch that and Gemstones uh, tonight. Uh, it's really good. It's it definitely in the wheelhouse if you're a, a fan of obviously true crime and serial killers, but also if you're a fan of like 70s New York or it, it doesn't really fit into the, the cruising level. Like it doesn't have like that aspect per se to it, but it's almost like this could be what might have influenced free like freaking said he kept reading about you know gay men going missing and gay men being killed back then and and that's literally what this is about these particular these three or four killings in particular so th- this might have been one of the many you know horrific things going on back then that could have influenced freaking 
Yeah, I, I got. I, I saw like um, it came up, and I was like, man, this looks uh, pretty interesting. I just haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. It's good. It's it's four hour long episodes. Um, yeah, recommended for you listeners out there as well. Over the weekend, uh, we attempted to do a. I talked a little bit about this with Jeff, a um, John Carpenter sort of uh, mm. review, mm-hmm. but only only made it to uh, the thing. Um, uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh-huh. At the mouth of madness. Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to see mouth of madness again, man. It's been ooh ages. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, probably one of my favorite movies that uh, Carpenter's mm. done. It's got like, like isn't there like some really like fucking good horror, like horrific scenes in that movie? Like I'm trying to remember, like like some specific set pieces about it that kind of made it stand out yeah there's some there's some trippy stuff in there it has like a weird kind of like a cosmic horror weird fiction vibe to it but Mm -hmm. by way it also has like kind of a stephen king feel at times because it's about a writer you know yes Uh uh-huh and it has the uh the outstanding um sam neill is in it of course he's great gotta love sam neill yes he's awesome yeah he's, he's one of the best and uh, yeah, so that's I haven't been watching much. Um, I don't know. Time just seems to go these days, man. I just been working, and uh, I got really busy at work, and mm. just time just seems to go. Been you know trying to stay up to date on the podcast, and uh, you know, <laughs> actually, yeah, I got I got actually uh, had some logistical errors, logistical um, issues on over over at everything went black, and I um, I had to miss it, miss a week. So yeah. yes, I saw that. Everyone uh, was concerned. How dare you miss a week? Ah, it, it happens, man. <laughs> I was going to do like um, like a from the vault. Yeah, I, I don't know. There was just I couldn't nothing. Nothing from the vault really grabbed me, and I don't know. I just figured, mm. you know what? Let, let me let me just uh, let this one slide. You know. Yeah. It, look, honestly, one thing I think I've learned is that podcast listening in the summer dips. Yeah. Um, and you know if life happens and you miss a show you miss a show and i think everyone will forgive you you know what i'm saying it happens yeah i mean i i had an excellent guest slated for that that week and he had some personal stuff that came up and um just got to reschedule and then mm. just a bunch of rescheduling happened which was you know people are away they're not available, right, right. Like, like that kind of stuff you know what i mean mm-hmm. well you know what Time marches on. Yeah. You reschedule and everybody will be okay. <laughs> uh, so, listeners, if you're a new listener or an old listener, you know that we are part of a podcasting cabal, a gang, if you will. Right, Mike? That's right. The horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse, uh, which consists of several sects of podcasts. Uh, that you can listen to throughout the different days of the week. On Monday, Mike Hill, who do we have on Monday? We kick the week off with Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666, which comes at you regularly on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Tuesday, we have Jackie Smith's Into the Necrosphere. And kids, we hope you checked out the episode from about two weeks ago with me and Mr. Hill, where we discussed our uh, favorite 90s death metal LPs. That was a blast, Mike Hill. Wasn't it a blast? That was a lot of fun, man. Had a great time. Yes. Check that out, uh, which I believe quite a few of you did. So we got some nice feedback there. Uh, on Wednesday, we had none other than the podcast we were just talking about. Everything Went Black featuring Mr. Mike Hill himself. Usually, uh, there's an episode every week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's okay. On Thursday, you're listening to it right now. It's the Necromaniacs podcast, the greatest horror podcast in the world, hitting 10 years coming next February, kids. How about that? Man, uh, coming to you on Friday, it is Break the Apocalypse podcast with my very own brother, Mr. John Draper. 
while they have not changed the name just yet, they have changed the format, and they pretty much just talk about movies, television, and pop culture now, which is just fine, Mike. You know? Yeah, no, it's great. I um, I don't do not believe that they should change the name. That's my opinion. Yes, yes. Um, they're doing a fine job over there. Uh, on Saturday, well, you have Saturday off. You can go see the sights, go to a park, read a book, watch some movies. But on Sunday, we have Carl Hakara's very own Soul Knox podcast. And those are your horsemen of the podcast apocalypse. Right, Mike? That's it. An elite group. And that was a motorcycle that just flew back, flew past my window. Um, I don't know if you heard that. But uh, yeah, support all of our fellow podcasting brethren, everybody. And uh, we got the necrophone, but I think mm-hmm. um, just just maybe because of the day that we're uh, recording this, we don't have any voicemails mm-hmm. this week for this episode, at least. It's okay. They yeah. kind of, you know, they come in, they come out. It happens. But why don't you shoot them the number anyway, Michael, for next time? So if you want to give us a shout, tell us what's up, say hello maybe give us a recommendation of a movie that you want to hear us talk about. Cause we actually last week, that was a, a movie directly from the voicemails, the, uh, the, mm. wail, the wailing. That's right. Uh, yeah. You you can hit us up at 908-913-0782-908-913-0782. The necrophone. Yeah. You know, Tell us what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you want us to talk about. Maybe something you've heard us talk about that you enjoyed. You know, all that good stuff. But please be polite. That's all we ask. Be polite. I got to say, um, everyone so far, everyone's been real uh, real cool. Let's let boys Yes, calls. totally. We have not gotten any any maniacs, quote unquote. But only, only the good kind of maniac you've gotten so far. Right, Mike? That's right. That's right. The necromaniacs. Um, tonight we're going back to the seventies. What I have said many, many, many times over on this program is for me, the greatest decade for horror. And in my opinion tonight, well, we've got another movie that just kind of proves my theory to be true, uh, because I rather enjoyed this film. Mike, what about you? I, uh, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. And um, actually, uh, Carl over at Soul Knox kind of reminded me of this movie. And uh, mm-hmm. I, we, you know, this is something that was on my radar. And uh, I thought yeah. you and I would, would enjoy this one. So that's why we're doing it. That's right. And it is none other than the 1974 American film, Messiah of Evil, directed by Howard uh, Willard Hayek and Gloria Katz, who also wrote and produced the film husband and wife duo michael yeah that's uh they also went on to do uh some other pretty notable work later on in their career they sure did uh howard the duck indiana jones and gloria katz herself is credited with being one of the key behind the scenes figures in the star wars world because she really helped lucas with the scripts how about that yeah, I mean, this is actually a really well-written film, if you ask me. Mm. So, yeah, ha- talented folks. Uh, and, you know, this is, this was their, their first affair, though, you know. Uh, a, a tiny bit of backstory uh, about this movie. Apparently, a, a producer friend of theirs, uh, you know, was going to give them some money to make a film, but the stipulation was that it had to be a horror film. And um, this is what they came up with. How about that, Mike? I think, well, we'll, we'll get into actual thoughts on it, but that's, um, yeah. I'm glad someone gave money to make this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, that that was the, the stipulation. It had to be hard. Like, okay, you can make your own movie, and, you know, you write it and direct it. It can be, it can be yours and blah, blah, blah. But it just has to be hard. Because, you know, horror, horror was... was uh, a thing, obviously, in, in the early 70s and when they were making this. And uh, I guess, you know, m- much like now, the indie horror movie, you know, may- 
raking in the dough. Well, Messiah people didn't really rake in the dough, but it's just kind of interesting that even like 50 plus years ago, there was a producer saying, okay, can you just make a horror movie? <laughs> you know? Well, this came out December 11th, 1974 in Paris, Texas specifically. So that indicates to me that this uh, was a drive-in movie possibly. Yeah, it, it had to be. And honestly, uh, this is another one of those movies that, while you know, while its actual title is Messiah of Evil, it had several other names uh, as it was released theatrically, such as Dead People, Night of the Damned, Revenge of the Screaming Dead, and believe it or not, Return of the Living Dead. My kill. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, a precursor to another movie, actually, that we both are fond of. Mm. But uh, apparently George Romero was uh, was not happy about that Return of the Living Dead uh, name at the time um, and, and, you know, inquired. But, you know, Messiah of Evil to me is the best name for this movie. Would you would you agree? Yeah, no, definitely. It, it works. I, I quite like dead people, too. Dead people. <laughs> I know, right? Dead people. It's it's a ve- it's it's a very death metal you know title though dead yeah. people it could be the name of the next Cannibal Corpse album just dead people you know? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, ninety minutes right at, right in the slot on that feature length mm-hmm. and um, cast I I actually uh, a lot of these uh, actors and actresses I I never seen them before no me neither. Um, uh, very attractive female cast in this movie. I don't know if, if that caught your eye, Mikel. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, um, this movie looks like all Europeans actually, but it's a it's an American film. Yeah, um, the beginning in particular is like one hundred percent giallo. Like right, isn't it? Uh, like the very interesting beginning. And wouldn't you know? The victim in the be- the very beginning of the movie, oddly enough, is director Walter Hill of the Warriors, Forty Eight Hours, etc. Yeah, that's who that was. How about that? Let's run down the rest of the cast just to give everyone credit sure. here. So we got um, Mariana Hill as our Letty, who could be considered the uh, you know the main character of this. Yes, uh, Michael Greer as Tom, Joy Bang as Tony. Mm-hmm. That's a great name, Joy Bang. Joy Bang, yes, that, that is that's a rather fun name, I have to say. <laughs> Anitra Ford as Laura, Royal Dano as Joseph Lang, Alicia Cook Jr. as Charlie, mm-hmm. um, or maybe Elisha, Alicia, Charles mm-hmm. Deer Cop as the gas tenant, mm-hmm. Benny Robinson as the albino trucker, and of course, Walter Hill as the stabbing victim in the prologue. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I, I definitely, you know, did not recognize him. Obviously, he was a very young man at the time of this movie, and it's before he started uh, banging out movies. So, as a director, how about that? Yeah. Um, although this movie is, you know, a California affair, I mean, it, honestly, it, it, it seems like it, it could have easily been somewhere in Europe. It could have been Italy for all, like, especially in those beginning scenes and just the overall vibe of the movie itself is super you know euro horror and even like the like the colors at one point it's like it brought to mind like suspiria like even though this is like several years before suspiria um i don't know i'm wondering and again i i do not know because i watched this on shutter i did not watch it on you know like a blu-ray or anything so i i don't know if if European horror was an inspiration for this at all, Michael. You know, I'd be really interested to get that Blu-ray as well because, uh, you know, back then, you know, culture didn't travel as quickly as it does today. You know what I mean? For example, right. now a movie comes out, you could download it and watch it or, you know, rent it across the globe. And since the this came out in 1974, mm-hmm. like, I wonder if some of the Italians 
might have seen this film or vice versa and been influenced by it. You know what I mean? It's really hard to pinpoint yeah. that timeline. It is. It is. I mean, this is uh, by 74, the first three agendas have all come out and they've all come out in America. So, I mean, there's that. Uh, so is it possible that uh, Willard and Gloria saw some of the Argento movies? Maybe. I mean, who knows? Um, but the thing is, it could just be coincidental. You know, uh, this movie, aside from having this European flair to it, also to me has the, you know, of its time American vibe. Um, Mike and I were texting and I was like, you know, this movie pairs very well with dead and buried and i mean if you if you see the movie you, you would probably definitely agree that they're, they're kind of like kindred spirits right oh for sure i mean the fact that it's on you know takes place in a coastal town and has that kind mm -hmm. of um you know beach vibe to it you know yes and also the what well, we'll call them the creatures it's like they're this zombie vampire hybrid in a way right yeah yeah definitely it's not very clear-cut like a romero well they're zombies you know or clear-cut it's a it's a vampire movie they're kind of like a little bit of both in, in this weird way um they're, they're very, unique, very unique. Mind, uh, yeah like this movie also brought to mind um the beyond for me at times and just a little bit of just fulci's at his best in general i mean just Again, but it kind of predates that some of those movies, so it's just just really strange, you know. Um, and, and what's even more interesting is that once uh, you know Willard Hayek and Gloria Katz started really making their moves in Hollywood and, and doing successful fare, or at least more popular fare, they they kind of thought this movie was piece of crap. Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to strongly disagree with that. I, um... Yeah, they they came around though. I think when um, in the DVD boom, when when more people started seeing this movie, period, in like the two thousands, due to the DVD and later the Blu-ray, uh, the public opinion on this kind of changed a bit, and you know a lot of horror reviewers really kind of revere this film as a as a great unsung horror film, and you know we'll we'll get to that at the end. Um, and, you know, but I guess I could see if you've kind of started dipping your toes in Star Wars and Indiana Jones and you look back at this, you're probably like, ooh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I can see that, you know, at least. Yeah, I could see that. But as far as like a piece of art with um, a really, I thought, incredible, really good writing, you know, great dialogue, yeah. great narratives, you know, and, and a very, very unique feel to it. Um, because if you ask me, this is a weird tale, man. This is like yeah. something right out yeah. of like a Lovecraftian uh, horror, you know, like, and I would even go so much further to say that it reminds me more of like, like maybe a Thomas Ligotti story because of uh, mm -hmm. just how empty the town looks and just there's a lot of um, liminal spaces and weirdness in this movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's very dreamy at times, and it can be very, uns it's kind of unsettling, too. It's got the European flair. It's got the independent American flair. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot going on. Um, overall, though, I mean, th there are times where it gets a bit, you know, muddy or maybe a bit jumbled, and it's, it, it's maybe not as linear as it should be at times, this movie. Um, but we can, we can talk about that after we kind of get into the overall plot. Well, to summarize it, a nice overview is uh, basically a woman travels to a remote coastal town in California to find her missing father, who's an artist. Mm -hmm. and, upon, upon, <laughs> and upon arrival, she finds herself in the midst of a series of bizarre incidents. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of like the... Uh, the teaser for this film. Yes, exactly. And folks, it's a summer horror movie. How about that, Mike? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an appropriately timed film. Uh, the movie takes place in like June and July because there's uh, diaries that she's reading that her father 
is left behind and uh you know you're paying attention to it as you should be as you're watching a film it's all these you know the, the dates kind of end in the first week of july so was, i thought that was interesting there's um, also a almost like a david lynch vibe to it you know what i mean yes you know i was reading a, a, a youtube thing about it right and somebody posted you know this i always thought the story was so good that i would not mind a remake of it like and i've said things like that before myself like you know, like some people, it's just so taboo to say that. Like, why would you touch a movie that's, you know, is so whatever. I feel that way about this movie big time because I think there are things in it that can be perhaps improved upon. But I just think the story itself is so strong that you could just plop it into now, honestly. I, I really do. No? Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a very, very cool story. I mean, uh, you know, essentially, uh, Arletti, who's like the young lady, um, she goes to this port town of uh i'm sorry port doom california which is a beach town mm -hmm. and yeah. um if she's looking for her dad you know he's an artist he went to this town to focus on his uh work and um that they, we they, she lost touch with him wants to know where where he's at and, yeah and yeah. dad art is very dark and creepy to say the least right mike <laughs> i would say so yeah yeah when she she gets to the home a lot of his paintings are, are you know throughout the house and they're just these very very creepy photos of like faces a lot of grays and whites and blacks and you know just this kind of off off-putting paintings you know that i guess honestly like if you're like a, a horror fan or like a real kind of you know dark-minded person you'd probably love these paintings in your own you know <laughs> um not very shiny, happy paintings from Dad. Let's to say the least. And, and they um, also play it up that uh, you know Port Doom is a uh, you know an artist colony, so that's you know right. why he went up there. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, the one thing that was really strange was that that opening opening sequence of the little girl with the razor killing you know a young Walter Hill basically. They don't go back to that. <laughs> no, no, like, I, exactly. It just sort of happens yeah. and they never address it, just happens, it again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, but it's super giallo, super giallo. And as a matter of fact, to me, like a, up to a certain point, a good portion of the movie has giallo vibes from, from like a, an aesthetic sense and, and a little bit of a plot sense, you know? Um, yeah. There's not a murderer on the loose per se, and there's not, you know, but there is a there is a missing person, so to speak, who is the father. So it's it has some of those traits. Um, so she's in town during the day, and she goes into an art gallery, and she asks, you know, if they knew her father or whatever. And the gallery owner is really kind of weird, and he isn't saying he doesn't have any of her paintings. He doesn't sell them, and no one comes in to look to buy his work. And blah blah blah, like kind of very dismissive. Then there was that old blind woman who was super creepy, right? Who like read her face or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and <laughs> she, she she comes across this guy Tom, played by actor Michael Greer, and his two uh, you know, companions, female companions, Tony and Laura. Uh, that would be Joy Bang and Anitra Ford. And that this is where the movie kind of I feel like gets into like this it, one of its many layers, you know. Yeah. Like it's almost like a mild cult Manson like light touch Manson moment. What do you think? Well, it wasn't clear to me initially what Tom's deal was. You know, at, at first right. I thought he was a pimp. I mean, these are like his his like women, you know, that he was uh, mm -hmm. working with, so to speak. Um. But then, yeah, he has this like charismatic power over them. It seems right. Yes, and he's kind of funny. Like he just says these things to them, like "shut up." Like he just like you know, he's very like the way he talks to them and treats them. It's it's a, it's a little cultish, like I feel like in a weird way. Um, or he's just like Mister Playboy. I guess it's one or the other. You yeah. Know? 
Well, he <laughs> he definitely takes a shine to um to Arletti, and um yeah. is you know has designs on bringing her into the fold. And what I found interesting that you brought up Manson was he was explaining to her that he was from Port Portugal, right? But mm. his background story varies from what he told her. And one of the women is like, oh, I thought your uh, your family right. was castle. So it's like that Manson thing where Manson has like five, you know, like a like hundred different backgrounds of where he's from and what his real name is and that kind of thing. Mm. No, that's true. That's true. Um, so they're in this, you know, danky hotel room and they're interviewing this kind of homeless guy named Charlie, right? Yeah. And he's, you know, kind of like a little, little off to say the least, Charlie. And he starts talking about the blood moon and the dark stranger and, you know, just rambling on about all this crazy stuff. And that it's the hundred year anniversary appearance of the dark stranger and that he's going to return when the moon turns red and you just kind of laying the tracks down, huh? You know, for, for, you know, what's to come with that scene. I feel like, right. Well, it's interesting that, uh, this part comes up with this guy who's like the, the weird narrator, because this is when I started feeling that, um, this story kind of reminded me of the shadow over Innsmouth by HP Lovecraft mm. in some ways, you know, cause there's, you know, this, this, the strange, the dark stranger, right? There's uh, right. a guy who's a drunk telling the, um, giving you the background. All right. And that's like, uh, Z Zadok, whatever the hell the guy's name is from, uh, the guy from, um, shadow over his, he's like the, the drunk yeah. that's telling the story. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of parallels and then there's the strange townsfolk in this. You know, they're uh -huh. not they're not amphibious fish people like in Innsmouth, but they're definitely strange, if you to say the least. You know what I mean? They are. And then it's like later on, it's like they're these like hybrid zombie vampires. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, Charlie manages to tell our lady that her father is one of them now. And, uh, you know, meaning one of the i mean them meaning people of the dark stranger or whatever um and you see him leave and he's he's killed off the screen uh and our lady goes back to her house and you know somehow of course tom and the two ladies are already in our lady's house and they say they got kicked out of the hotel because of charlie's death and you know uh, n none of the other hotels would take them up because of it and he kind of weaves this whole tale i think just to get back into the house even though charlie did in fact die he was he was killed uh you know they didn't show it but he was killed by probably one of the townspeople huh yeah or revealing secrets probably probably and that's the thing it's like yeah this town town that has secrets the town's folk that are remaining are you know transformed and there's this bizarre past that the town has too. So it's like all, all these elements come together in this like very, very weird tale esque kind of, kind of uh, vibe. Um, Arletti tells uh, her guests about, you know, her father's journal entries and how bizarre they are. And that he has this condition quote unquote. And uh, we see that there are all these people gathered on the beach near the house lighting bonfires and staring up at the moon uh it's called you know the waiting i mean yeah it's super lovecraft yeah. i mean you know the waiting, which which is really cool you know yeah um one of the gals is you know doesn't want to be at the house anymore so uh before leaving for san francisco she goes to the supermarket and this is you know one of the sickest scenes in the movie she sees all these people in the supermarket Again, it's kind of vampirish, you know, feasting on like raw meat, right? Yeah. The thing I really dig about this scene in particular is how empty everything feels. You know what I mean? There's yeah. like that. I've, I'm a huge fan of that liminal space kind of like vibe with, you know, certain things where there's like something that's really not very sinister at all. For example, you know, a parking lot. Like during the day, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people. 
in a supermarket parking lot. It's it's just the normal place. But right. in the middle of the night when it's empty, it takes on this oh, like crazy. sinister yeah. tone and there's only you know, like a handful of people or one other person there and it just it just does the vibe is like so intense during this scene. Mm. Well, uh, unfortunately, aside from eating the raw meat, they, they feast on her. So Laura is unfortunately killed. Uh, and then the other young woman the next day decides to go see a movie. And she's, you know, initially she's watching this Western uh, all by herself in the theater. And then one by one, these people just kind of come in and they kind of sit closer and closer to her. This is another really great scene, actually. And, uh, you know, she becomes the next victim in the movie theater. Um, I know I, I almost felt like there was like some unintentional like comedy in that scene. No, no not at all. <laughs> I didn't find that. I didn't find anything funny about that scene. I thought not comedy, like, like the, 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 well, not her getting killed. I meant like the, just the, the city and the theater part watching the, the Western and just kind of like, you know, the way they're kind of sitting closer to her, what I found funny was how oblivious she was. That's what I, I found um, funny. Like, you know, I, could, I mean, I couldn't disagree with you more on that, man. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking. This is like very, you know, very subjective here. But that scene was the thing of nightmares, if you ask me. Mm, I, 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 I was, I had so much anxiety watching that scene, and I was like, mm. yeah, maybe go back to, you know, my late night movie viewing back at the Menlo Park, uh, you know, AMC, where there was, like, two other people in the theater and, like, just, like, being alone in a dark place, you know? Mm. You think about the surrounding emptiness of the town and the streets, and then suddenly more and more people start coming in. And, what, what, you know, why? The movie already started. And then they start sitting closer and closer to you. And it's, mm. once again, it's that idea of something totally safe and normal somehow slowly transitioning into something terrifying you know right right um i read somewhere that, they, that there's a, much like the romero movies uh, of the 70s there's that there's this take on 70s consumerism that might also be prevalent in this movie as well did you get that at all no i didn't get that Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I could see Romero, but also this, I mean, I got to be honest, like the, the creatures, I'm not even going to call them zombies. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, they're completely different. They're different. They transitioned from being normal humans into this other thing. Right. And through some enchantment or curse or bad energy that the dark stranger brought to this town. You know, it's like the town itself is like changing these people into something else. And uh, that's it's not like there's a virus or they got bit by a zombie or whatever. You know, that's it's a totally different type of thing. And it's like, like I said, way, way mere, way, way more in that weird fiction realm where everything's just off and weird and strange. And there's like strange explanations for things, you know, the moon and the dark stranger and like all that kind of stuff. And also the, the, the very beginning scene of like her, her kind of dialogue at the beginning is super creepy. Remember that? Like oh, the, yeah, the, the, she's there. the voiceovers, like the readings in the diary, um, all that stuff is so well written and so well done mm. and, and has that, that same type of prose that you would read in Lovecraft or Clark Ashton Smith or like a Thomas Ligotti short story. Very, very good. Very good. So did you like overall all of the voiceovers in this movie? I loved it personally for me. You did? Yeah. Okay. I'm big, I'm big on that kind of stuff. It might have been a better movie without the voiceovers, actually. I've heard some people say that. Yeah. I mean, hmm. you know, to each his own. But for me, I like dialogue. I like I like that kind okay. of like purple purple prose like dialogue, right. you know. Um, so speaking of voiceovers, we learn after that scene, as the, the, the blood moon is rising and the town's residents turn into vampires, that the Messiah of Evil is returned 
and that uh, this, you know, this, this what we're going to call the Messiah was a former minister in the town and a Donner Party survivor from the 19th century who turned into a vampire slash cannibal who has come to spread his new religion to the people uh, up the coast and inland. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it totally got the Lovecraft vibes to it. But overall, I just think it's kind of like this really cool plot. I mean, no, I mean, over for a horror movie. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's why I like it so much because it's definitely, like I said, it's a weird tale. Like even the, you know, the the stranger coming to town to spread his, um, you know, his his uh, religion, his evil religion. It's like, it's like exactly like in, uh, you know, Shadow of Rinsmith. You know, there's like the, yeah. you know, Dagon cult, you know, the esoteric mm. order of Dagon and all that. And it's just, it's great. I love it. Um, so Tom, who again, not really sure if he's the hero, anti-hero, or villain, you know, at this point, uh, sees policemen go up to the swarm of vampires, you know, uh, firing their guns at them. Uh, one of the cops begins to bleed, causing his uh, partner to shoot him and flee. And uh, undaunted, the undead cop shoots his former ally, and then the other vampires go to feed on that cop. That was an interesting scene. Um, Tom makes his way back to the house, and our lady is there. She's kind of freaking out, and she's really cold. And as he's talking to her, this is a pretty sick scene. He finds a bug crawling around in her mouth, and then she goes to a sink and vomits up a bunch of like bugs and worms. I thought that was pretty cool, huh? Yeah, definitely, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you never really know what's up with Tom, you know, what his mm, angle is. Exactly. Yeah, um, and while Tom was gone, Our Lady is finally visited by her father, who, you know, warns her not to follow him and begs her to leave the town and tell the whole world about what's going on at Point Dune. And this is a really fucked up scene. He attacks her, giving into his vampiric urges, and she stabs him with garden shears, before burning him alive, Michael. Yeah. And yeah, there's a bunch of scenes, like a bunch of the scene has him putting the paint on himself, right? Just really like, almost like Last House on Dead End Street vibes, no? Oh yeah, that's a good reference. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yes. It just it, like it gets a little kind of off the rails at the, in this particular scene, right? Um, she she stabs Tom in her, her fit of rage with the shears as well. But then they kind of run off into the night to, you know, and the vampires are following them. They get onto the ocean and swim, but Tom drowns. Tom is fucking useless, by the way. God damn it. Um, <laughs> um, our lady manages to survive and is captured by the townspeople. And instead of killing her, they set her free under the condition that she spread the word of the religious movement throughout California and beyond, uh, which causes her to be locked up in an asylum. And each day she sits by the sun painting, awaiting the Messiah and his followers to come and take her away. And again, it kind of ends uh, as it begins with her repeating some of those really kind of haunting, creepy lines at the beginning of the movie. Again, it's, I don't know, I got total vibes of like, you know, the beyond for that yeah. ending in a good way, right? Yeah, I mean, and the beyond is very Lovecraftian too. Yes, it is. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like, not that the movie was unfinished, but I feel like there might have been more that they wanted to do with the plot, you know? Um, hmm. But it didn't make me not like the movie. I actually loved it. But I feel like there might have been a little more there, especially with the Tom character. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because apparently he is in that flashback sequence. That is the same actor playing the dark stranger, Michael Greer, you know? Uh, and then sure enough, um, according to Wikipedia, uh, he, he said in an interview while promoting the film that he was in, The Gay Deceivers, uh, Michael Greer, He's going to be in this horror movie where he's playing the devil's son called Messiah of Evil. How about that? Interesting. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like 
maybe there was more on a script or, or somewhere, or maybe they just ran out of like time or money or resources, you know? Interesting, right? Well, not knowing any of that background that you just, um, you know, laid out there, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with uh, the completeness of the movie, honestly. I think that maybe some of the characters, like Tom, could be developed more. Like he is, mm-hmm. you kind of question, is he there specifically to provide bodies, you know, like with the two young ladies that were killed, you know, and his own death? Mm-hmm. Or did he, right. was there a deeper purpose of him within the narrative of the story? Um, so that that's the one loose end that I feel like was never really, you know, that could have been utilized better. But the story itself, I think, is brilliant. I think in, even at the end where Arletti is, uh, you know, in an insane asylum and um, it's like very much like a character right out of a Poe or Lovecraft story where they're driven insane by what happened and uh, the yeah. townspeople, you know, let her survive in order to spread the word of this ancient evil religion. You know, that that's like very much within the wheelhouse of a story that I think would be really cool. I agree. Yeah. Um, so famed, you know, film reviewer and writer, Kim Newman, uh, considered this film to be a neglected, surreal horror film. And the interesting thing that he said about this movie is that it's a part of an era of horror films called the American Nightmare. This is a phrase I've actually heard before. Yeah. Uh, It's it's an era starting with Night of the Living Dead in 68 and ending with Dawn of the Dead in 78, uh, where the writers, directors started their own film projects and went in search of business partners and shady distributors to distribute the films. That sounds like a little movie called... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, the films had commercial value, which creators managed to express their personal concerns within the framework of the genre. Uh, he places Messiah among one of the one-off oddities produced in this era. Um, and, you know, this predates like the 1980s boom of like your Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets, which began to dominate the genre. And honestly, the era of the American Nightmare to me produced, I mean, fucking amazing horror films. You know, uh, we talked about Dead and Buried. I mean, look, 68 to 78 is a ridiculously great decade for horror in America, you know, as a whole. Uh, another movie that I think is like a cousin to this movie, Mike, could also be Death Dream. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's. That, what what you said, man? All these '70s films, like I, you know, I, I like, um, you know, I like a nice uh, slasher movie from the '80s. Sure, yeah. But I prefer the type of films that were made in the '70s, and that goes even with you know, Halloween, which you know, the, the for arguably one of the first slasher films. But the Halloween film, in and of itself, as a standalone movie, I think fits. It's separate, you know, from the other things that came out after. Yeah, it's a part. It's almost to me. It's it's a if if it's seventy eight and it is. It's a part of this in the fact that it's done. It was done independently, you know, like written and directed by young people with ideas. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, I I would put it as a part of this. Yeah. Oh, and another uh, trait would be. Um, of, of the quote-unquote nightmare era films is that they portray dreamlike psychedelic scenes in an eerie unsettling atmosphere as a lot of these films definitely do um uh, another movie uh, which i own that i've never seen which uh, apparently is also part of this canon is la mora from 1975 you've ever seen that movie no i haven't actually yeah it's called well it's also called la mora a child's tale of the supernatural um I have it on DVD and I, it's, it's, it was uh signups put it out a while ago and I'm not even sure if there is a Blu-ray. There might be listeners are going to keep me honest on that. But, um, and then one more example would be let's scare Jessica to death from 1971. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's also kind of like this wild, wild west of like 
we're going to do exactly what we want to do. We're going to write these, you know, offbeat horror movies that come from the heart. And some of them have something to say and maybe some of them don't, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, what a fucking wonderful time for movies, you know. Yeah, definitely. This is like, um, you know, special type of movie. And this this one, unsung in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely something that people should seek out. And apparently there's a, a nice uh, Blu-ray that's uh, going to be coming out soon. Yes. Um, this was also listed as uh, number 95 on IndieWire's 100 Greatest Horror Movies of All Time. How about that? I, I didn't uh, know so that. It's got some props, you know. It's gotten some props in the modern era. Uh, the Blu-ray came out in 2013 from Code Red. Uh, there was a Code Red DVD that came out in 2009. Uh, but to me, the best thing for the listeners is that it is on Shutter, So you can, you know, watch it after this podcast if you like, if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah, it's always been one of those movies that, like, I, I, I've heard so many people talk about over the years and reference it as like this kind of like important american 70s movie and you know i I could totally see why and shame on me for taking this long to see it yeah i mean uh it took me a minute to find out about this one i think um i think i found out about it through um the evolution of horror that uk-based podcast a couple of oh okay maybe last year i heard about it and so um, get this Although the movie came out in December of 74, they began filming September 1st, 1971. Wow. See, like, this predates a lot. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. If they began filming in September of 71, there's no... I, okay, they, they didn't see... I, I'm going to call it... I don't think these people saw any Argento movies. How about that? I think this is all, you know, co- coincidental. You know, yeah, we we should probably uh, revisit this, even as maybe an aside after we view the Blu-ray mm. with some further right, right, follow-up right. information on this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just so strange how you you like when you see a movie and what you you think like you know in your head as you're watching it. Well, this was probably inspired by blah blah blah, and then where you you know you do your research, you go back and check dates of things, and it's like, well, that's impossible you know i was wrong fucking crazy but honestly on our necromaniacs scale of one to five i give this a four with a bullet michael what do you give i give it a 4.5 actually a little bit higher uh okay mainly because i'm a mark for these types of movies Mm. i really love all this kind of weird liminal space types of films that have this empty feel and uh this dreamy quality to it and also um yeah just the way it's shot the colors and yeah, oh, the, yeah. Whole, the whole yeah. mood of it was like right up my alley and the, the music is really creepy too huh oh yeah the music's great i i i'm quite certain the soundtrack does not exist but if someone was to put it out i would certainly buy it you know, maybe after the Blu-ray comes out, you never, you never know. You know. Yeah, exactly. The Dark Stranger. Like, there's all these interesting lines. The Blood Moon, the Dark Stranger. It's, it's it, the movie is just, it's you know, it, it definitely were marks for it. I would say. Oh yeah, yeah, t- totally, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I honestly, I, I've heard that. Uh, this new 2023 horror film, how about that, called Talk to Me, is quite good. Have you heard anything about that? That's the one with the hand, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't know about that one, man. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it sounds interesting. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I just want to see it because it's a, it, it, it's, look, there's been a, a bit of a problem with the 2023 film, so I'll, I'm, you know, if one has some decent word of mouth, at least I will check it. Um, speaking of 2023 horror, the the trailer for the new Exorcist uh, was released, and uh, Mr. Hill and Rennie were 
much less enthused than myself by the trailer, I should say. What do you, how am I? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I'm going to see it for sure. As a matter of fact, Jeff yeah. suggested that we do a three-way episode on this one. Of that one. Okay, you know what? I think that's, yes, let's do that. Yeah. Let's Just out of respect for, for Blatty, you know what I mean? Mm. So I'm down, I'm down mm. with that. I'm down with doing a three-way on this and uh, see what's what, you know? I mean, maybe I'll be, I'll be uh, pleasantly surprised with this movie. You never know. You never know. Well, at least they're putting it out in October. I mean, people are doing some thinking, at the very least, on the marketing and releasing side of the movie. Thank God for that. Yeah, um, that could be our uh, Halloween episode. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, sounds like a fucking plan, man. Good idea, Jeff. Um, so yeah, Talk to Me is actually playing uh, 10 minutes from my home at the Alpine Theater, which is a, a little bit of an incentive for me to perhaps see it in the theater. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, uh, the trip looks kind of cool, but I don't know. The, the plot doesn't sound that amazing. It's a it's a play on the monkey's paw, pretty much. You know, yeah, I I um I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, I saw the trailer. You know, it's summertime. You know, who knows? Maybe <laughs> uh, we'll come to some night where there's nothing to do, and I'll right, we'll need, right, a, right. We'll need a date night, and I'll go. You, know, you never know how it's gonna go. So, I mean, I, I need to like scan the the, the twenty twenty three shutter releases. I mean, it's it's probably something we're missing. But I just feel like last year by this time we were like inundated with things to talk about. No? Yeah, it's been slim, man. It's been real lean this year when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, like good new horror films. You know, it's. Or for new horror with a buzz in particular, like or new horror that's like people are saying, "Oh no, you need to see this." That's what's missing. Like, I bet this new horror out there is just not very good. You know, I mean yeah. that that could be the problem. But you know what? It means we discover and uncover gems like uh, Messiah of Evil. You know, that, yeah. and that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, there's, that's a good thing too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, listeners, if you have any any more suggestions, uh, if you want to correct us on anything we said this evening, of course, uh, please do so via our Instagram page or uh, the ancient uh, mechanism known as Facebook. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think this is, Instagram's got a little more activity, I guess. Right? Obviously, I I don't even go on Facebook hardly ever, man. <laughs> I I like pretty much I use Messenger. I don't have it yeah. on my phone at all and uh right. mainly instagram is what i mess around with yeah i mean facebook is good for like the music stuff you know yeah i mean but i feel like even that's that's dipping <laughs> i gotta be honest I, i'm not even active at all with my mobile phone these days it's like i if you <laughs> i mean if you text me i probably will get back to you unless you're on a very short list of people Within mm. within three hours, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, there's yeah. a couple of people that are text back like right away. Like my girlfriend texts me. Like I have a special ring for her, right mm -hmm. away. You know, I talk, I get back back to her right away. Guys, you know, you guys, podcast guys, you know, the guys in my band, and that's about it. My mom never texts me. She calls me on the phone, and then. Right. Same. Same here. You know? An actual phone call from mom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that's it. Like, um, I just I just don't like looking at my phone anymore. You know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I get that. I mean, also in like summer or like when it's nice out, that's kind of the last thing you want to do is look at your phone, right? I mean, it's you know you want to enjoy enjoy the surroundings, right? Yeah, totally. You know, and it's like, and I, you know, it's it's a little bit much with all these. Uh, now there's threads. You know, there's like. Yeah, I I am not not joining threads. It's not happening. So yeah, you I know, have Facebook and Instagram. That's enough. I have to I'm not really. On Twitter. Nah, I mean technically I'm on Twitter, but I never use it. You know what I mean, like right. actively. Um, but I, I set aside certain times of the day to look at things. You know, and that's it. Yeah. And then I just got to do something else. I just can't be on my phone twenty four seven. You know. No, no bueno. All right, that was. Another episode of Necromaniacs Podcast. Uh, 
We will see you next Thursday with a brand new episode. And we thank you for your support. Right, Mike? We thank you guys all. And uh, really appreciate it. And definitely, um, you know, hit us up. I might not respond to you right away, but uh, <laughs> but, but I will definitely respond to you. As everyone knows who has reached out to me on all the various channels, I definitely get back to you. So Exactly. <laughs> all right, guys. Take care. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.